Hello, and welcome back to another podcast from VJ Oncology. In this episode, we have the pleasure of listening to a discussion on novel CAR-T strategies in lung cancers from the IW CAR-T workshop held this year in Tampa, Florida. This roundtable discussion is chaired by Melissa Johnson from the Sarah Cannon Research Institute at Tennessee Oncology, and it features Sandeep Patel from the University of California, San Diego Health, Sylvia Lee from the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center, and Prasad Adasamali from the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. Here, they discuss how the composition of the tumor microenvironment may be altered by immune checkpoint therapy and the future implications of this, as well as discussing tumor infiltrating lymphocyte therapy for the treatment of solid tumors. Hello, I'm Dr. Melissa Johnson from Sarah Cannon. We're here at the IW CAR T-cell workshop. Uh, we've just finished a great session on immune effector cell therapy for lung cancers and other cancers that arise in the chest. Uh, let me introduce you to, my, to the panel, um, Sandeep Patel from the University of California, San Diego, Sylvia Lee from the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center, and Prasad Adisamili from Sloan Kettering. We had a really robust discussion um, after uh, each of the panelists' discussions, but uh, we're gonna recap that for you just with little cliff notes from each of the talks. Sandeep, maybe I'll start with you. Can, do you want to tell us what you talked about? Yeah, and so thanks for uh, the opportunity to discuss our, our work. And so we wanted to provide a broad-based overview of the needs in solid tumor cellular therapy, in particular for non-small cell lung cancer, the most common tumor type um, in the United States, and some of the logistical challenges around delivering therapy, whether looking for a needle in a haystack biomarker and the best approaches to screening large number of patients, not only for host factors like HLA, but tumor-specific factors in terms of expression of the particular target. Um, we also focused on um, challenges in terms of mass production. For example, um, for um, autologous-derived cellular therapy products for very rare diseases, um, there may be opportunities for um, uh, bespoke therapies in that setting. However, for common tumor types, such as non-small cell lung cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, the need for scalable solutions so that if there is an effective product that can be delivered uh, to um, a wide swath of patients who could benefit um, is key. And then really focusing on the biomarker story because many of these cellular therapeutics have a high toxicity in addition to a high therapeutic um, rate that can be durable, but the idea of matching the best therapy for the patient and how we think about biomarkers to best understand which patients can most benefit. Great. How about you, Sylvia? What did you talk about? Um, so I reviewed lung uh, till therapy. So basically, till therapy is a type of cellular therapy that involves removing a patient, a portion of the patient's tumor, uh, bringing it to the lab, and growing out the T cells from that tumor that is able to recognize uh, the tumor and expanding that to high numbers and infusing it back into the patient. And we've known uh, for a long time that that therapy is effective for melanoma and the question is can that therapy be effective for other solid cancers and um, just recently really just over the past year and a half we've started to have our first data come out from uh, now two different lung tilt therapy trials um, one at Moffitt and uh, another that was a multi-institutional trial and it's really showing um, that we uh, the answer is yes that we are seeing that tilt therapy can achieve responses in lung cancer patients who have actually already progressed 
non-standard immunotherapy like pembrolizumab and nivolumab. So that's pretty exciting. It's pretty huge uh, and sort of a great solid first step for, um, I think, a promising direction. And Prasad, uh, why don't you tell us about uh, your talk? Uh, you are uh, one of the surgeons in the room today uh, from a little bit of a unique perspective talking about anti-mesothelin CAR in mesothelioma. So my talk focused on developing CAR T-cell therapy, chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy for the thoracic cancers, uh, mostly primary malignant mesothelioma, metastatic lung and breast cancers as well. We talked about how we developed it, why we chose mesothelin, and what's the role of mesothelin in these cancers, and with different types of constructs that we are developing. And most importantly, for crossing the bridge of, as you just alluded to with Sylvia, crossing the bridge of initial safety and initial signs of efficacy, how can we keep them going, functional persistence, which to me is the key for the solid tumors. Uh, so that's what my talk focused on. Absolutely. Um, I, lastly, I, uh, I presented uh, another challenge in the development of these immunofactor cell therapies for solid tumors and in particular lung cancer has been uh, to, to identify uh, realistic uh, patient targets. Tumor antigens that are expressed in high amounts in the tumor, but not in other uh, wild-type uh, cells of the body. And, and I took a different approach that maybe the way to develop these therapies for lung cancer patients will be uh, more broadly, not screening so much, but rather uh, giving an off-the-shelf therapy. So I reviewed a, a red blood cell-based therapy. I reviewed a natural killer-based therapy. And and an INKT-based therapy, all looking uh, to help uh, get the immune system to the tumor and to expand anti-tumor immune cells there over and above what T cells are able to do with checkpoint inhibitors. Um, you know, I, I do think that one of the key questions of the meeting uh, that was raised in the GU session uh, uh, preliminarily and then in our session too is the importance of the tumor antigen. And we spent some time on the panel discussing whether, for example, mesothelin, uh, do you need a high or a low uh, amount of it in order to, is that a good way to select patients? And Prasad, you had some really interesting comments. I wonder if you'd share them again. Yeah, I think it's a great conversation that we had based on multiple experiences from different clinical trials. Antigen expression is the key. That's the target that we are targeting the T cells. So antigen expression should be there and must be there. But beyond that, is that the sole criteria? Um, what other criteria come into the picture? And what are the considerations that need to be taken? Because in solid tumors, as we all discussed, um, there's no CD19 that is homogeneously and uniformly expressed at a high intensity on all the cancer cells. Knowing that that's our battlefield, it's a heterogeneous antigen expression, how can we now select the patients and streamline the patients through multiple therapies? Most importantly, while we are advancing with cell therapies, checkpoint blockade therapy, multiple other different checkpoint blockades, targeted therapies, they're already in the play. Once we cross the bridge of safety and initial signs of efficacy, it's going to be multimodality therapy. How do we combine, even in tumors that has a relatively lower antigen expression and change the tumor microenvironment and make the other therapies work. 
Um, that's what I was alluding to in the talk. I thought you made a really good point in your talk. Um, you showed some data that's emerging, and, and I took note of those slides. I'll be interested to read those manuscripts about um, how checkpoint inhibitor therapy and checkpoint plus chemotherapy for preliminarily for lung cancer and mesothelioma changes the tumor microenvironment in real ways that will impact the success of subsequent therapies uh, like this. And I, I do think that is uh, uh, an area where we ha we've been ignoring that in, in much of the work that's been done today. I think the initial studies were focused in the um, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, targeted therapy on cancer cell lysis. And we, as you alluded to, we had a blind eye to the antigens that are being released following cancer cell lysis. So there for the tumor eradication, the chemotherapy, targeted therapy, radiation therapy, we looked for how much of the cancer is lysed and the changes in the imaging. But now that we can alter the tumor immune microenvironment, do we really need high doses to cancer cell lysis? Can we get some cell lysis and neoantigen responses and alter the tumor microenvironment, get rid of the macrophages or promote T cell infiltration? Now with the combination of this, can we eradicate the metastatic tumors? I think that's one of the concepts um, we discussed. That's really exciting. Uh, I'll, I'll follow that with interest. Sylvia, maybe we'll switch gears and, and talk a little bit. I, the question I wanted to ask you is, as you sit across from a patient, melanoma or lung, in the clinic, how do you, how, how do you select patients for TIL? Do you, is there something about their case, their molecular profile, that makes you think, ah, this would be a great patient, or are there other factor, clinical factors that you use? Yeah, um, so usually, you know, what the way we view TIL and the patients who are most likely to benefit are sort of the same patients who tend to benefit from the immune checkpoints, the patients who have really, you know, mutationally rich tumors, the lung cancer patients who have a heavy smoking history and, you know, melanoma arises, you know, from all these mutations from UV light. And, um, uh, and then also sort of separate from that, when we look at till and like other cancers that have a specific uh, like an HPV oncogene, like something that can be easily recognized by the immune system. Um, so we look at patients that way, but the main uh, you know limitation of till is you have to surgically resect a portion of their tumor to grow the cells. You can't just do a leukophoresis. And so you have to have someone who has a portion of their tumor that you can easily resect with a surgery that's not going to be too aggressive where they can sort of come in and out. We can pull out a portion of their tumor um, and grow their till from that. And so they have to be pretty, you know, um, fit to go through surgery. They have to be pretty fit to go through, like till is given with a pretty hefty uh, lymphodepleting regimen with high dose cyclophosphamide and fludarabine. Um, and then also um, uh, several doses of high dose IL-2. So it's not for the faint of heart. They have to be in pretty good shape to be a candidate for TIL therapy. Maybe a question for all three of you. To what extent uh, is lymphodepletive chemotherapy uh, a requisite? And to what extent is IL-2 to follow? Not just for TIL, but uh, cytokines maybe to be a little bit more general. Um, do you guys have thoughts about that? Maybe Sylvia? Yeah, I think, you know, just to back up a little bit when you were talking about the impact of chemotherapy with immune checkpoint and how, you know, that sort of surprises in lung cancer that that was such an effective combination and thinking about what chemotherapy does to the tumor microenvironment. One thing that happened, like so TIL, 
predated the immune checkpoint inhibitors. And when ipilimumab and nivolumab came out, one of the questions was, is this going to just replace tilt therapy? Is it just doing the same thing that tilt therapy does, except in a much easier off-the-shelf way? And what we found in several trials now, you know, in melanoma and lung cancer is that the answer is no, that TIL therapy can work in people who aren't responding to the immune checkpoints. And the question is, well, why? Why is TIL any different because you're relying on the same endogenous T cells? And I think one of the components is the lymphodepletion that makes it very different. You're actually doing something that will help improve the tumor microenvironment in a way that you don't do when you give someone nivolumab or, or a pembrolizumab. And so I do think that that's a really important component and is a, you know one of the explanations for why TIL can work when the immune checkpoints don't. Yeah. And I think on, on the back end, you know, once those cells enter that hostile tumor microenvironment that you hopefully made less hostile with lymphodepletive chemotherapy, and I think debates around the dose of flu sci, for example, um, you know, it's, it's not well established. There are also effects on the microbiome uh, that happen with flu sci that may or may not uh, potentiate a favorable immune microenvironment. And so host factors, I think we have to focus on. But I think on the back end, what to do for those cells once they're in that hostile tumor microenvironment, if they become exhausted, is it actually an immune check? point that we need um, is IL-2 the right cytokine, right? Because at high doses, we actually stimulate regulatory T cells um, as well. And so we're kind of working against ourselves a bit. Could it be IL-15, IL-12, or, or some modification therein to kind of try to have our cake and eat it to maximize um, a pro-immune um, uh, response, an anti-tumorigenic response from these cells we spend a lot of time and a lot of work creating to ensure that they don't just enter the tumor microenvironment and become as energic as um, an endogenous T cell. And so I think this is an area we need to understand a lot more about because it's not enough to find uh, a cell therapy that hits the target. It has to be safe, as we discussed earlier, but these have to persist. That's the main reason we're doing immune checkpoint blockade, um, as well as um, long-term cellular therapy approaches for those durable remissions we see in the hematologic malignancies. Any other thoughts? Yeah, no, I agree with what he said. I think as of today, <clears throat> what we know, lymphodepletion is important. And how do we achieve it with uh, less toxicity is that's something we are all focusing on the practice. And uh, beyond lymphodepletion, do we believe that one therapy or one dose is going to get rid of metastatic solid tumors? If it requires multiple doses, then what are we going to do with the lymphodepletion? Because every single lymphodepletion, not in addition to the addition of toxicity, we may be getting rid of some of the good functional memory cells. I think the next thing, something we are already working on the lab is, how can we avoid multiple times lymphodepletion just to keep them going with one lymphodepletion? And if we have to do, how can we make at least these cells resistant? I think that's going to be more important uh, as we think about the community practice and the, these metastatic tumor patients that um, a single dose at this stage is not going to be sufficient. Yeah, the, those are all uh, really good points. Maybe as we wrap up, um, there's been a few war analogies over uh, our discussions, both um, in the in the uh, workshop and now. Um, Sandeep, you mentioned uh, trench warfare um, with uh, as a as an analogy to some of these therapies. But I thought to myself, as you said that, but they, they use trench warfare in, in World War One. Like, you know, what's the new 
nuclear option yeah. here. Um, so fast forward, based on what you've heard today, and tell us what you think, what, what will we be doing for our lung cancer patients in five to 10 years? Well, we don't want the nuclear option for our cancer <laughs> patients because that's probably great, like grade eight cytokine release syndrome. Uh, no, I think uh, you know it, it really is about maximizing the, the opportunities for the patients. And so I think this is done in a couple ways. One is the safety of the underlying product. Um, two is uh, the ability to find the right patient for that particular product. Do they have the target expressed on their tumor type? Um, are they the right HLA type if it's an HLA restricted product? Um, and, and then three is, is really, is it a single dose all at once, right? Is it multiple smaller doses? Um, what's the best back end support? What's the best amount of chemotherapy? These are the, the aspects we, we really have to, to understand. And I think, you know, taking a step back, we're talking about non-small cell lung cancer. Um, we even for standard of care pill-based therapies probably are missing about a third of patients with actionable mutations because we're not testing. Uh, and this can be done in two tubes of blood. And, and so now as we're moving to the next generation of more bespoke cellular immunotherapies, we not only have to look at those factors related to the tumor, but we may have to look at transcriptome, we may have to look at protein, which you actually can't do in liquid, and you actually look at the host factors, are they the right HLA type, for example. And, and so I think building in as we get approved products in cellular therapeutics, building into our existing biomarker platforms, what we already have to do for EGFR and ALK and PDL1 will be key because uh, trying to find that needle in the haystack by trying to guess which patient will never work out. We have to test everybody equally appropriately as part of these platforms. And I think that's how we identify the patients who can benefit from these uh, very promising but very toxic therapies. But the goal is the toxicity is worth the price in terms of that durable response um, long-term. Great. <laughs> what we discussed in the room, uh, the complexity of how are you going to analyze all these markers and select the right patient and personalize the treatment, um, I was about to say in an optimistic philosophical approach, I think 60, 70 years ago, if a human being walked into this room and said, I'm going to take all of four of your blood, I'm going to see which blood group you are, and I'm going to do the cross-matching, see which blood group matches. In the entire world, every hospital, I'm going to put a fridge, a refrigerator, I'm going to put a blood bank, and we're going to sell the, separate the cells, red cells, platelets, and different uh, types of cells, and we're going to decrease the mortality. I don't know how many of us would have believed in it, but we are now in 2022. Can we do all these molecular markers, immune markers, tumor immune microenvironment, develop an algorithm using all the computer advanced knowledge, and can we do this in a very short time in the period? I think we're going to be there in five years. I love that. I love that idea. Thank you for joining us, uh, talking about uh, cellular therapies for the treatment of lung cancers and other tumors of the chest at the IW CAR T-Cell Workshop 2022. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review if you found this podcast useful and make sure to subscribe on your podcast app so that we can continue to deliver exclusive expert-led content. Please follow us at BJ Oncology on Twitter and come and join in on the conversation. And please head to vjoncology.com for more content from the IWCAR-T workshop.